So, hey, I'm so excited to be here today. Uh, man, just blessed. Already had two amazing experiences. The fact that you guys are at three services is just amazing. Can we give God praise for that, all the growth that's happening here? Pastor Brandon, Pastor Megan, they're just such amazing leaders. You guys have fallen um, under such amazing, amazing leaders. And I, I say this all the time, but listen, if you're looking for a home church, the grass is not green on the other side. It's as green as it gets right here. They do such an awesome job. Yeah. Um, I want to introduce you real quickly uh, to my family. Um, and, and to go off what Pastor Travis was saying one more time, um, we are your biggest fans from across the river, uh, lake, I don't know what it is, but uh, from across the way, we are your biggest fans. Uh, pray for you daily, Pastor Brandon, Pastor Megan, and just this church, knowing that God's going to use this church to change this area of South Carolina, and uh, man, just so blessed to be here. My family, uh, my wife came with me today, her name is uh, Chanel, everybody give Chanel a hand, she's on the front row with me. These are our beautiful babies. Uh, we have four kids. Somebody say faux no mo. That's what it is. That's how, that's how we are. And uh, this is uh, Brooklyn on our right. Uh, she is 11 years old. This is my son Judah. You can tell he's my son by the ears. Come on, somebody. That hurt my feelings. You laughed too hard. Okay. That's Judah. He's seven. Over here, this little whippersnapper on the left side, this fireball, uh, Piston. His name is uh, Houston, and Houston is uh, four years old. He's back there terrorizing your kids' department as we speak. And the one in the middle asleep right there is uh, Georgia Beth, and she is eight months old, and she was a little gift from God uh, that came just this past September, and so we're so thankful. Uh, I'm so thankful for my family and the fact that they get to come with me to do all this um, and do life with us and do church with us. So I'm, I'm excited. We're excited to be here uh, with you today. Are you guys ready for the word? Anybody ready for the word? Anybody ready for the word? Yeah. Hey, listen, I hope that this message really changes your life today. And again, I just, I just want to reiterate something to you. Uh, messages don't change lives because of the messenger. Messages change lives because of the creator of the message, right? And so in this, in this way, in this time, I'm a conduit. You're not to see me as any high up uh, platform type of person. Uh, I'm here to exalt Jesus and here to allow the Holy Spirit to work in this room. So if you feel a little voice on the inside today and you feel that convicting power of the Holy Spirit... Let me just go ahead and tell you, conviction is not a bad word. It's a good word. It just means, hey, there's hope for you. Hey, this is the direction you're headed, but you can go another way. It just means it's, it's a hope-filled word. It really is. So if you feel that convicting power, it's not my fault. It's the Holy Spirit's fault, and it's between you and him. But, man, I'm just so excited about what God is going to do today. You guys are ready. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for everything that you're doing. Lord, I know that in South Carolina, I know that uh, you're moving here just like you are in Georgia, and I am praying a special request. I'm asking a special um, favor, if you'd call it even that, just, Lord, that you would move in this place, just one person giving their life to Jesus already. It's a miracle. Heaven's rejoicing. It can be 200. It can be one. It, heaven's rejoicing. There's a party going on right now. So I want to thank you so much for that. I thank you that, God, you've called me to this. I thank you that I, I get to do this. I don't have to do this. This is something I wake up about. I, I, I'm doing the dream job because the dream job is whatever you've called me to, to do. So, Father, I thank you that you've appointed me for this moment. I pray that you would bless the word. I pray that you bless these moments that we share. And I sincerely pray for a UGA championship to happen this year in football. In Jesus' name, everybody said Y'all said amen. Did you hear that? Some of y'all said it. Some of y'all said amen, didn't you? Sacrilegious people. I'm just kidding. Hey, um, 
Hey, so uh, I'm, I'm super excited again to be here with you today. Um, I am from Georgia, born and raised in Athens, so I'm a true Georgia boy. I have no problem with Gamecock fans or Tiger fans born in South Carolina. I have problem with, like, Alabama fans born in Maine. Like, that's, that's what I have a problem with, you know, but uh, so you guys, uh, to each his own, um, so to speak. I have a table that's here today. I have a table for a specific reason and a specific purpose. I like to give visuals for everybody here. It kind of keeps people interested, and, and uh, more or less, it's, it's not just you looking at a pastor the whole time. It's, it's actually something else that you get to look at. But this, this table here, uh, it signifies uh, something very important and special to us today. This is a table that is set. We all came from different tables, and Jesus used tables throughout the scriptures. Um, if you look all in the New Testament, Jesus was eating at tables all the time. Matter of fact, in the book of Matthew, Matthew is written for the Jews, Mark was written for the Gentiles, and there's a lot of action in Mark, a lot of miracles, and he went there, and he went here, he went to this town, and then you get to the book of John, and he's having a bunch of conversations with people, but in Luke, I heard one scholar say it like this, essentially Luke is, Jesus went to this house and ate, taught some and left, and then the next story, Jesus went to this house and ate, taught some, and then he left. Jesus loved to eat. How many of y'all want to be like Jesus, anybody? I want to be just like Jesus, Glory to God, you know, like sweet tea and all. Like, I'm, I'm there, I'm ready. Jesus sat at tables, and it, and it brought the thought across my mind that uh, what, what did Jesus teach? What he taught at tables was so important that it was enough to be able to write down. Now, I, I'll tell you that majority of the time, Jesus proclaiming and going to the mountainside and going to the towns and the synagogues and the churches, those were recorded as well. But why were these intimate moments recorded? Why was this moment with Jesus, this intimate table setting, it was so important that he gave such great information and teaching that it changed people's lives. So essentially what I want to tell you today is that Jesus has set a table for all of us here, and he's inviting us to sit down. Now, one of the tables that Jesus sat at and taught about is the table of grace. The fact that uh, Ephesians 2 says, for by grace you've been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves is a gift from God. Not, you can't do anything to deserve it. And so he sets this table of grace, and we had one person at the 830 service give their life to Jesus, and they now have a seat at the table of grace this morning. Isn't that awesome? There's, a, there's another table he talks about. It's actually in the Old Testament. It's a table of peace. Uh, Psalms 23 says, he prepares a table before me in the presence of my enemies. In other words, God's going to give you such peace in your life that even though all craziness and all hell is breaking loose in your life, you have enough peace to actually sit down and eat. How many of you know when you are just going through the ringer and just life is going crazy, sometimes eating is the last thing on your priority list, but when it's good, when life is great, uh, the Bible says to be happy, be merry, eat, be happy, and be merry. I'm telling you, to have that type of peace in your life, God says when your enemies are facing you and you're getting ready to go through the toughest times in your life, that's when I'm going to give you that type of peace to sit down, have a table prepared, and you're going to eat right in front of their faces. You know, like that's, that's what he says is going to happen. And then uh, another table is not a table that we necessarily like to talk about, but it's the table of suffering. Um, John 15, he says, if the world doesn't like me, they're not going to like you. If the world persecutes me, they're going to persecute you. If I'm suffering for the sake of people, you're going to suffer for the sake of people. And we should, we should uh, uh, be glad to join in that suffering. And it's so different than the world's mentality of the way life should go. But I'm telling you that this table is being set for all of us everywhere, all around the world. Jesus sets a table. So I thought about what's the best way 
for me to, to start off the greatest summer ever? How could you have the best summer ever? What table does Jesus want to set for us today? And, and I feel like I've got a powerful, powerful word for you. Tables are all very, very different. We all grew up in one type of a table or another. Uh, I don't know what your table is for at your house, but at my house, really, our table is not just for eating. It's also where you put the clean laundry on there so that you can fold uh, clothes. That's, that's what our table is used for. It's used for our kids running in the house. They throw their backpacks on it. They throw books on it. Uh, they throw shoes on it, and then I get onto them. Don't put shoes on the table, that kind of thing. That's what tables are used for. I grew up in a house, I grew up in the house where the table was used for eating dinner and eating Sunday lunch. Anybody know what I'm talking about? like regular dinner and Sunday lunch, um, specifically uh, Sundays, uh, we had this great feast that my mom would cook, and it was gravy and potatoes and chicken, and it was, it was really, really phenomenal. And I can remember sitting down as a child at a table that my mom prepared. Well, then my mom uh, actually decided that my manners were not good enough. I was doing too many bad things. And so my mom did something. She went to the local library and borrowed the VHS tape. Anybody know what a VHS tape is? You know what I'm talking about? She went, she got a VHS from the local library, um, and it was on manners and etiquette. And so my mom made me and my sister sit down for two hours and watch a VHS on manners and etiquette. I know so much useless information about manners and etiquette right now, and it's all because of my mom. I know things like you are not supposed to eat. Really, you're not supposed to sit down at the table until the cook has sat down at the table. Did you know that? So if you really want to impress your mom or you really want to impress somebody in your life that's cooking, uh, even if, if it's the dad or the husband, don't sit down. Stand behind your chair. Wait till they sit down. Then you sit down. That's proper etiquette. Um, another one is you are not supposed to season your food until you take the first bite. Because if you take a first bite before and then you season it before, uh, then that basically is telling the cook, you don't know how to cook. I know better than you do. And so many of us, as soon as the plate hits the table. We're like salt, pepper, Texas Pete, whatever we can get, right? And like soak that. that that's rude, everybody. Shame on you. That's rude. Uh, <laughs> you got to wait, take the first bite, then go, this could use a little more salt, and then have at it. That's, that's totally okay. I know which forks. I know which spoons. In my house, we didn't have paper towels. We had napkins, linen napkins that my mom uh, sat, and, and the, the napkins go in the, there you go. You guys know what I'm talking about. Elbows do not go on the I know so much stuff. <clears throat> I don't drink wine, but I know which wines go with what meals. Like, I know all this information. And it's all because my mom taught me. It was the table that we sat at, so to speak. She, she uh, had these rules. There was no arguing at the table. You did not argue at the table. If you were going to argue, you had to get up and get out and go to another place in the room. You couldn't sing at the table. Definitely no elbows, no burping or anything like that. No, no bodily functions whatsoever. You could breathe. That was about the only thing that was allowed at my mom's table. And if you did anything, especially in the presence of company that she did not agree with, she put her foot in your shin. And, um, and it hurt really, really, really bad. And so um, I know that I've gotten uh, many, many bruises on my, on my knees and on my shins before simply because of her kicking. That was the table I grew up in. My wife grew up with a different kind of table. Uh, my wife's family was a little more free, let's just put it that way, a little less manner conscious. Uh, my father-in-law's name is Bubba. I cannot make this up. My father-in-law's name is Bubba. He's one of the greatest men I've ever known, and the, the name just matches him perfectly. He's such a great guy. 
But their table, as I started going to her house and eating dinners with her family, her table was vastly different. There was no manners like that. Um, her table went a lot like this. As soon as the dish hit the table, it was all hands on deck. Like you just grabbed wherever you could grab, put it on your plate. My house, you picked up the plate, you dipped out, you passed to the right. Like that's what you did. You passed counterclockwise. That's how people did it at my house. At Chanel's house, it was, ooh, I want some gravy. Bam. Like, you know, you just go over there and like grab it and you're dipping your sleeve and all the stuff. And like that's how it worked out. Uh, they did not have, they did not believe in paper towels either. My father-in-law, Bubba, had a dish rag he threw over his shoulder. Come on, somebody. You know what I'm talking about. And whenever ribs or whatever, it was just, uh, just right there. I, I can remember it, and him sitting there with this big old dish rag on his shoulder. Um, I can remember one time my mother-in-law, uh, she's eating a veggie burger, which God knows why somebody would do that. But she's eating a veggie burger, and I have this nice steak uh, uh, um, burger, hamburger steak right in front of me. It's just beautiful. It's bubbling. It's juicy. It's got a little pink on the inside, just like the Bible. Words red on the inside. It was perfect. And, um, and I'm sitting there going through it, and she looks at me. She looks at her burger. She looks at me, looks at her burger, looks at me. She goes and dives her fork into my burger, and I go, ah! like, I cannot believe that this woman would do that. That is so rude. You know, like, we all, we all grew up at different, at different tables. We all had different order to things. Can I tell you that Jesus, that woman got blessed right there. <laughs> can, I, can I tell you, can I tell you something that, that Jesus had a different order to things? Jesus, when he set a table, he had an order to the way things gone. Now, the, the problem is that the way that a lot of churches, and not this one, but the way that some churches that we grew up in, the order of which the table that they think Jesus set, the way that he set the table in their minds, his order, was as soon as you walk through the door, hey, you need to look like us, act like us, smell like us, go to the places that we go, don't go to the places that we don't go. And when you follow all those rules and you obey, 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 then you can come and be a member, then you can come be a part of our church, then you can follow Jesus, then you can believe, but you better get your life straight first. And I've been a part of churches like that in my life. And it felt so religious and it felt so rule-oriented that no wonder it, it put so many people off. And no wonder so many people my generation stopped going to church because it was just rules, 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 rules. And there are rules in the Bible. Absolutely, there are do's and don'ts. There are thou's and thou shalt not. Come on, King James folk. You know what I'm talking about. They, they are there in the Bible, absolutely. And that's what we're going to talk about today. But God doesn't knock you down at the front door with obey, obey, obey. That's not the way he does things. Matter of fact, I can prove it to you. Jesus' ministry, when he saw his first disciples, when he calls Matthew, the tax collector, and Peter, James, and John, and Andrew, and Bartholomew, when he calls them, he doesn't look at them and say, you guys are not acting right. Obey me. Like, that's not what he says. He says, hey, come follow me. Hey, let's have a conversation. Hey, hey, come, come look at what my life is like and see if it's something that can help you in your life. Hey, hey, just come follow me. As they followed him, following led to believing. All of a sudden, they said, wow, Jesus really is who he says he is. He really is the son of God. His life really is different. He's not one way on stage and one way off the stage. He, he is the same all the way around. Wow, you know what? He really does treat people differently. Wow, he really can do miracles. Amazing things happen when Jesus comes. They went from being followers, which everybody in this room, even now as you're at church, whether you're a believer or not, we are all following Jesus, seeing what Jesus is about. And if you're here and you're not a believer, thank God that you're not here. We're so thankful that you had the courage to come to church today, and we believe that your life can be changed, but I'm saying that we, we, we began as followers, then moved to believers, but then as we became believers and surrendered our life to Jesus, the next logical step in our life is obedience. So today I want to talk about the table of obedience. 
I want to start off by saying, if you want to have the greatest summer of your life, it has to start with the table of obedience. It has to have the table of obedience in your life. As you begin following Jesus and believing Jesus, something crazy happened. These followers of Jesus and believers of Jesus in the New Testament, they began to apply what he said to their life. And because they began to obey him, that's all that is, applying what he says to their life. When they began to obey him, they turned the world upside down. Not just in the New Testament, it's in the Old Testament too. Book of Exodus, the children of Israel are in Egypt, and there was this guy that came on the scene. He was a prophet. His name was Moses. And as Moses comes on, you would think that in 400 years, God being silent, not really partaking with anything with the children of Israel, all of a sudden, Moses comes. He's a spokesman for God, and he's, he hits the scene. And as soon as he shows up, he doesn't go, thou shalt not, thou shalt do. He, that's not how he started. Moses began uh, allow, um, allowed, being allowed to the, be the vessel that God uses to do miracles and to uh, bring them out of captivity to allow them to draw, walk across dry land, the Red Sea. And then Jesus fed them in the desert, gave them water, gave them bread, gave them food, took care of them, led them by day, guided them by night. He did all these things. They were followers of Jesus, followers of God, believers of God. Then after all that was done and they discovered God could be trusted, guess what God gave them? The Ten Commandments. It wasn't day one. It was like year three or something. God had proven himself. And can I offer you something today? Not a list of rules and regulations, but can I offer you a relationship with Jesus that allows you to follow and believe and gives you the grace and time to do that, but then there comes a time where it's time to sit at the table of obedience. We can sit at the table of grace, and we should, because that's how we get to heaven. We can sit at the table of belief, and we should, and because that's how we get to heaven. But I'm telling you that the table of obedience, that's the reason why Christianity turned the world upside down was because followers and believers of Jesus began actually doing what he said to do. That's what obedience was all about. And somehow, again, in our, in our church circles, it's gotten very, very different. That we get hit in the door as soon as we walk in, and they throw the Bible at you and they say, obey, 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 obey. When Jesus' model and God's model was not that, Jesus and God's model was, hey, come sit down. Let's have a talk. Hey, let's, let's talk about what's going on in your life right now. Hey, let's talk about what I, what I can tell you that's going to help you. Hey, hey, let, let, let me help you with your soul because everything starts with your soul. FYI, you are not a body with a soul. You're a soul with a body, everybody. He said, hey, come sit right here. Just let me help you. We got we to take care of first things first. Let's, let's make sure you're on the right path. It's just a simple table conversation. You can have some of the best moments sitting around a dinner table. You can have some of the best conversations sitting around a table. And that's all Jesus wants with every single one of us today. Just sit at the table. Let's have a conversation. Let's talk about this. I'm telling you, this sermon is for everybody in here. Whether you're a follower and you're not a believer yet, whether you're a believer and you haven't become obedient, or maybe you're obedient and there are some areas in your life that Jesus just says, hey, come sit down. Let's have a talk. But let me tell you something. There's two different types of tables. Because when we went to these family reunions, we, we grew up going to family reunions. I don't know what happened in 2020. All of a sudden, family reunions went bye-bye. But we, we had family reunions when I was growing up. My granddaddy was one of 11. My grandmother on my dad's side was one of 14. So I had a huge family, and we all got together. We actually built this house called the Smith House, and the Smith House... Um, has a lot of tables in it, probably 50 of those round tables in it, right? There were tons of tables there, but two types, and everybody knows what two types there are. There was the adult table, and then there was the 
kiddie table, right? And that table, sometimes it was a little tight, it's like picnic bench, you know? Sometimes it was a wooden picnic bench with splinters in it, you know? Like, like it, was, it was the kiddie table for a reason. Can I tell you in this room that you can be a follower of Jesus Christ, you can be a believer in Jesus Christ, but until you are obedient and apply his teachings, you are still at the kiddie table of faith. You are. You're going to heaven. Oh, yeah. You got your fire insurance. I'm going to heaven. Bless God. You're there. But I'm telling you, you're still seated at the kiddie table. Do you know I was at the kiddie table for longer than I felt like I needed to be at the kiddie table? And I'm not talking about spiritually. I'm talking about realistic life. I was 13 at the kiddie table. And I was like, I don't, I, I should go over there with my parents. My parents said, no, you go to the kiddie table. I was 15. I was 18. I was married with a child on the way. And my wife had to sit on that picnic bench with her belly out to here. And, and it, was, it was awful. And I remember thinking, I need to be at the, the adult table. Do you know how I got to the adult table from the kiddie table? You know how? Somebody had to die. <laughs> it's wrong, but it's true. Somebody had to die. Somebody had to be, lose their spot for me to go from the kiddie table to the adult table. Hey, can I tell you something? For you to have a seat at this table, somebody had to die. Somebody had to die for you to have this spot. So wherever you're at, whatever table you're sitting at this morning, whether it's grace, whether it's following, whether it's believing, wherever it is, somebody died for you to be there. And I'm telling you that there are people in this room that God has, God has, he said that he has presented the table. It's there. It's already out there for you to sit at. But there are people in this room that are believers, and they're still sitting at the kitty table when there's a spot at the adult table waiting for you. Kitty table's chicken fingers. Over there is chicken wings. Come on, somebody, wings. In Georgia, we don't say wings. We say wings. That, that's how it goes. It's better up there. It's, 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 it's where you're supposed to go. It's the natural. It's, it's weird for a 75-year-old man to be sitting at a kiddie table, but spiritually, some people are still there. So I just want to offer you a seat at the table of obedience. And again, don't, don't make obey. Don't make it such a bad, it's not a bad word. It's not a bad, it simply means you take the teachings of Jesus and you apply them in your daily life. That's all that means. It doesn't mean obey or, ugh. like, that's not what it means. It just means, hey, let's apply the teachings of Jesus to us. So with that being said, he begins to explain in Matthew 5, 6, and 7, Jesus, he's, he's this master teacher, master uh, preacher, and he doesn't do things behind a pulpit all the time. Sometimes he sits at a table, but in this particular instance, he's on a mount called the Sermon on the Mount, and as he's at this area where there are people all the way around, I can just imagine him sitting down and everybody else sitting down and listening to him, the amphitheater of people listening to him. And Jesus begins to talk about this table of obedience, and it starts like this in Matthew chapter 5. He says, blessed are the meek, blessed are the peacemakers, blessed are the humble in spirit. He begins to say, hey, if you really want to have a blessed life, this is the attitude you need to have. Because when you do this, God gives you the kingdom. When you do this, God blesses you. So he says, hey, this is what a blessed life looks like. But he doesn't stop there at just a blessed life. He then says, hey, you know what? If you don't know how to pray, here's how you pray. Matthew 6, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name, thy kingdom come out. He, he teaches the people how to pray. Very practical stuff. Then he says, hey, guess what? He says, you know what? You need to forgive people, everybody in your life. You, you think forgiveness is not a big deal. Forgiveness is a big deal because he says, you know what? If you don't forgive them, then how can my Father ever forgive you? If you don't forgive them what they've done, how can my Father ever forgive you? And it brought this thought to my mind that you will never have to give more grace than what you've been given. 
Hey, listen to me. You will never have, nobody has ever wronged you more than you wronged God. God poured out more grace on you than anybody has ever wronged you, the grace that you have to give out. So you have no reason to have unforgiveness in your heart because if that would have happened, then maybe God should have not forgiven you. But he did, and since he did, we have to forgive others. Just practical application. You have to forgive everybody. Forgive that person that cut you off on I-20. Don't tell them they're number one. Don't do that. Come on, number one. Y'all know what I'm talking about. Don't, don't, don't do that. I'm saying, I'm saying, look, it's practical differences. It's applying the practical differences in your life. And obeying, it makes the practical difference in your life. It's where the rubber meets the road. It's the real difference in your life. So in Matthew chapter 7, after he's talked about, hey, when people hit you, turn the other cheek. Hey, when people wrong you, don't wait for them to make it right. You go make it right. That is so hard for me to do. I'm not up here on a pedestal saying I do all this stuff per perfectly okay. I'm telling you, if somebody wrongs me, I'll wait for a phone call. I'll wait for a text. You better say you're sorry. That's not what Jesus says. He says, if they've wronged you, you go make it right. Don't wait for that phone call. You're going to be waiting a long time. Don't do it. He says things like, you know, do more than what people ask you to do. In other words, when, when they ask you to walk a mile, you walk a second mile, and then you give them your jacket. You give them their cloak. He says things like, hey, be generous. He said, he said, you know what? I give seed to the sower. He said, so as you are generous, I will be more generous with you. I will be more open-handed with you. He says, forgive everybody, everyone. He says, I'm letting, you let them off the hook because I let you off the hook. He says things like, you know, lust, it's not just a mind game. It's a sin. Adultery is not just a physical act. It's a mental act as well. And he begins to give practical table conversation that can change their lives. And as they begin to apply it, that's exactly what it did. So he's done with this great sermon. You thought T.D. Jakes and Stephen Furtick and Pastor Brandon Goff, I mentioned those in the same company, you thought that they had great sermons. They have 35, 45 minutes to give a sermon. Jesus had three chapters to give the greatest sermon ever preached. And at the end of it, you know what he does? Matthew chapter 7, he brings it all to a close, just like every good speaker does. He says, keyboardist, will you please come to the keyboard and lay down that whoo? You know, that like everybody's like, oh, this is the moment. This is the spiritual moment. I need to pay attention right here. He gets to Matthew chapter 7, and he's ending his sermon. And this is what he says, Matthew 7, 24. He says, therefore, in other words, culmination of everything I've said about generosity, about forgiveness, about prayer, turning the other cheek, he said about lust, all the things I've tell, told you, if anyone hears these words of mine and puts them into practice. In other words, everybody in this room is hearing this sermon right now, but what you do with it is up to you. Everybody in this room has the intent, but can I tell you something? Intentions get you nowhere. It's the doing part of it. He says, everybody that hears these words of mine and puts them into practice in their life. In other words, you walk out this door, just like Pastor Chris says, you walk out different than the way you walked in, and you actually change some things about your life. He puts them into practice. You are like a wise man that built his house on a rock. Now, everybody knew what this was. Everybody, even back then, everybody knew that you don't build your house on quicksand. You don't build your house on a swamp. You don't build your house on the beach. Like, like everybody knows you have to find, dig down and find the firm foundation. Everybody knows that. And so I'm telling you that Jesus is giving this practical information, practically applying it to your life. And when he's done, he sits you down at the table and he says, hey, 
if you just do what I ask you to do, if you just apply what I've told you to do to your life, if you just forgive when you don't feel like it, if you walk the line when nobody else is, if you're generous with your finances, he said, let me just tell you what, what, what you are. You're wise. You're like somebody who built their house on a rock, to which you say, well, duh, Jesus. Everybody knows you should build your house on a rock. That's easy. That's common sense. And that's essentially what Jesus is saying. It's common sense to apply my teachings to your life. Because then he continues. He says, the rain comes, the streams rose, the winds blew and beat against that house, and yet it did not fall because it had its foundation on the rock. Now, most of us grew up in Sunday school in some form or another. We remember donuts and Coca-Cola. Why would you give a 10-year-old donuts and Coca-Cola and expect them to understand anything you're saying, uh, or listen for that matter? But we, anybody grow up with felt boards? Where they like stuck the sticky stuff on there and they give you a lesson. Anybody remember Veggie Tales? Come on, somebody. Bob and Larry. My gracious, God is here. You know, like, like we all know that stuff. And we all, we all heard a song. This is a very popular song. It goes like this. It goes, the wise man built his house upon the... You guys went to church. Glory to God. The wise man built his house upon the... Come on, sing with me. The wise man built his house upon the rock and the... Tumbling down, the rains came down and the floods came. Good, yeah, here you go. The rains came down and the back row. The rains came down and the and the house on the rock stood. I like it. Stood firm. Hey, it's a funny song. We remember it. We grew up with it. But Jesus is saying, hey. The, the best spiritual, practical advice I could give you, if you take these teachings, Matthew 5, 6, and 7, all through the gospel, all through the New Testament, Old Testament, if you take these teachings and apply them to your life, it's as wise as you building your house on the rock. Matter of fact, he's not even saying it's as wise as, he's saying it's as common sense as building your house on a rock. It's easy to understand that. Of course you don't build your house on quicksand or swamps. Of course you do that. He says, everything I'm telling you is just good, old-fashioned common sense. Now, how many of you know we are high up on education in America, but common sense is running short? Anybody know what I'm talking about? Like, like he, says, he says, hey, he says, this is good, old-fashioned common sense. And then he goes in verse 25, he says, then when the storms come. And he's alluding to something. These are good people. Followers, believers, and they apply the word of God to their life. But guess what? Storms come. In other words, everybody in this room, under the sound of my voice, everybody watching online today, you are in the midst of getting ready to or coming out of a storm. It's a season. Of, it's, a, it's a season. It may look all bright and shiny right now, but I guarantee you, uh, uh, Pastor Travis said that 90-degree weather is coming in two weeks. Well, guess what comes with 90-degree weather? Tornadoes, <laughs> hurricanes. Thunderheads and thunderstorms, lightning, wind damage. Storms are coming to your life. It's a guarantee. It's part of life. Whether you're good or bad, it's there. But he says, when you build your house on a rock, it's common sense that winds and rain and flood are going to be at your door, but your house will remain. It's just simply common sense. He says, you, your life will stand the test of life. If you simply apply, if you simply forgive like you should, <laughs> if you're generous like you should, if you pray like you should, if you apply these teachings of mine to you, it's just common sense. Pastor Mark, you can come.
He says, it's not about how many times you go to Sunday school. It's not about how many times you go to church. It's not about how educated you are. I know a lot of people who are educated, but they're idiots. <laughs> Call them educated idiots. <laughs> they got degrees, but they don't. I mean, I, I, he, he, listen, he's just, listen, he's just saying, hey, common sense. Common sense. This is not astrophysics, everybody. Common sense. I want to speak to you today. If you will take this book right here and not just hear it, but apply it when the storms of life come, and they are coming, your life will stand. But there's two sides to every coin. The other side, verse 26, he says, But everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice is like a fool. <laughs> Jesus literally said they're stupid. <laughs> That's what he said. They're idiots. He said, he said, everyone that puts these words, uh, hear these words of mine and does not put them into practice, they are foolish because they're building their house on sand. Hey, listen to me. It's not about what you hear. It's about what you do with what you heard. It's not about intent. Intent gets you nowhere. Intent is daydreaming. <laughs> he says about what you do. He said, hey, ignoring what I'm telling you, in other words, I don't want to forgive them. Okay. I, I work for that money. I don't want to be generous. I, I, it's supposed to be for my babies and my kids. I'm supposed to be the provider. I'm not going to give nothing. That, okay. Okay. You don't forgive others, but yet God's supposed to forgive you. <laughs> you work for that money? Who gave you the ability to work for that money? Everything you have is because God gave it to you. The Bible says in the book of Psalms, every good and perfect gift comes from the Father above, the Father of light to which there is no changing. You have the brain and the mentality and the strength you have to do that job because God gives it to you. It's that simple. I don't want to turn the other cheek. Okay. It's your choice. I, I, I don't want to pray all the time. I, I'm, I'm too much. I'll just pray, pray, pray. I, I don't want to do any of that stuff. Okay. All right. That's... That's your choice. But Jesus says, when you don't do that, when you don't apply what I'm asking and know how your life works best, when you don't apply those things, you're foolish. You're headed for disaster because life happens. Storms come and people get mad at God. It was not God's fault that you built your house on sand. He warns you in Matthew 7, Storms are coming. And I get a front row seat to it. People come into my office. Oh, Pastor Nick, my kids. Oh, Pastor Nick, the money. Oh, my marriage. And I'm just, I'm, hey, it's okay. And I'm nice to them. And I smile. And you know, I pray with them, all that kind of stuff. But eventually I just go, hey, well, did you do what God asked you to do? Hey, husbands, did you treat your wife as Christ loved the church? <laughs> hey, hey, when the money dries up, well, were you generous with what God gave you in the first place? When your kids are acting all crazy, well, did you train them up in the way they should go so that when they are old, they will not... Like, like, it's practical stuff. But if you build your house on sand, life is going to happen. That is a certainty. Storms, wind, rain, floods will meet you at your front door, and your life, your house, will be destroyed. Verse 27, the rains came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against the house, and it fell with a great crash. Everybody say, great crash. It fell with a great crash. 
Verse 28, when Jesus had finished saying these things, the crowds were amazed at his teachings because he taught as one who had authority and not as one of their teachers of the law. In other words, when Jesus said this, there was something about the way he said it. Hopefully the way you're hearing this right now. It just, it sits different. It makes you think more than any other time. It makes you analyze your life and you begin to feel convicted. That's not the pastor doing it. That's the Holy Spirit doing it. He's asking you to reorganize and rearrange your life. I'm telling you that when people begin to apply and reorganize their life based on God's word, and specifically about today, Matthew 5, 6, and 7, go home and read it and apply it, it'll change your life. I promise you. But when you do that, Jesus says, hey, it's just practical, good old everyday common sense information that I'm trying to give you. I love when the Bible simplifies things. I don't feel like my job as a pastor is to make things complicated. Um, I heard one pastor say it like this, I, I want to put the cookies on the bottom shelf. <laughs> I don't want you to have to work hard for it. I, I, I want you, everybody in this room to get a cookie, physically and spiritually. I want everybody in this room to get a cookie. Um, I don't want to complicate things because I don't think Jesus did. Jesus came to earth to uncomplicate God. All the Old Testament, 600-something laws that they had added from the, from the Old Testament until Jesus came, 600 laws. He said, hey, out of the 600, there's two that matter. Love God, love people. He simplified God, right? And I want to do the same thing because I feel like Jesus did the same thing. There are two types of people in this room right now. You're all hearers. You're all followers. Maybe some of us, most of us maybe are believers and some of us are not, and that's great. But now comes a time of, are you willing to apply what God has said in his word that might go against what you feel? It may go against what you think is right. But are you willing to lay it down and apply God's word to you? So it leaves us with two people. Number one, this message should comfort you. And if it comforts you, it's because you are time-tested and true. I obey God's word, and every single time it works out. It might take a while. It might take some weird turns and curves and whatever. But if I obey God, my life is a testimony of obeying God and seeing the blessings of him come to fruition in my life. It should be a comfort to some of us. And to those people in this room that maybe it hasn't been time-tested, and you're just starting this journey, maybe you're younger, maybe you're a new believer, and you say, man, some of this stuff is whack. And, and, and people, people look at me weird. People say, why don't you cuss? Why don't you talk about everybody else like we do? Why don't you cheat on your spouse like everybody else? How come you don't go out and drink and party like we do? And for some of us in this room, because we are followers of Jesus, believers, and we are applying those things in his life, in our life, because of that, we might feel like we're missing out on something. Can I tell you something? You're not missing out on anything. Because though sin may be fun for a season, it leads to destruction. Hey guys, listen to me. You're not missing out on anything. When you adhere your life to God's word and his principles, you are not missing out on anything. Because storms are going to come and rains are going to come. And when they do, the people whose lives are built on sand, they will crash. But there's a second group. There's two sides to every coin. <laughs> this message can either comfort you or it can be a wake-up call. In other words, you do too much of you in your day life. You don't have enough Jesus. There's not enough applying God's word to your life. Not listening. I'm not saying you're not praying. I'm not saying you're not reading God's word. I'm not even saying you're coming to church. <laughs> you're here. 
I'm saying when you leave here today, there's too much of you going on in your head for God to have any room. And you've got to lay that down. You've got to begin applying God's word to your life because storms are coming. And if your life is built on sand and not on God's word, the Bible says you're headed for disaster. With that being said, I love when the Bible gives word pictures. I love it. I am not ADD. I'm ADDDDDDDDDDDD, right? Like, pray for my wife. She has to live with me, everybody. <laughs> there are squirrels every time. Squirrel. Like, there's, they're always there, right? Um, but I love it when Jesus simplifies something for somebody as dim-witted as me. And he gives us like word pictures in the Bible. That, that's how my brain works. I, I can't just read something and comprehend it the first time. For those of you that are smart, you killed the curve when I was in high school. I don't like you. But anyway, um, I, I love word pictures. And at the end of, I think it's verse 27, he says, The rains came, the floods came, the winds blew and beat against the house that was built on the sand. And the house fell, and it said, Great was the crash. It fell with a great crash. That's a word picture. Then in other words, it wasn't just some like, just like fall over and it wasn't a big deal. Oh, I can build it up tomorrow. No, no, no. In other words, it was such a big crash that everybody around the town knew. Everybody that, that was in a, 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 an earshot heard the crash. Like CNN showed up on the front lawn. Oh, a big crash in the house. They built their house on the sand. Stupid people. You know, like, 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 like that's how it was. Fox News showed up and said, well, I don't know if they'll ever recover from this. It was such a great crash that it was near destruction in their life. I say near because you're never done. If there's breath in your lungs, you're never done. But it was near destruction in their life. And here's what I want to tell you. For those people in this room that you are not applying God's word to your life and you know you're not. I can't tell you. I'm not your spirit, I'm not your conscience, and I'm not the Holy Spirit. That's between you and God. But you know you are not applying God's word to your life. You're not obeying him. The Bible says, when your house falls, great will be the crash. You know what that means? That means it does not just affect you. It affects your spouse. It affects your kids. It affects your grandchildren. It affects generations and legacy. Generations of people all because you didn't apply God to your life and his word. Hey, mom and dad, if you're not applying God's word in your life, you're building your house on sand, and when the rains come and the floods come and the winds come and beat against your life and it falls because it will, your kids will be affected by it. Guarantee it. Hey, grandma, grandpa, <laughs> when you do the same thing and you're not applying God's word to your heart, you're not applying God's word to your life, and you're just living your life the way you want to live it because that's how I've done it since 19, or whatever it is. Like, when your house falls, and it will, life will get you at some point to be affected by it. And I have been front row seat witness of people who generation after generation after generation could never get their stuff together. And it wasn't because they were dumb. It wasn't because God didn't love them. It wasn't because they weren't saved. It was because they would not apply the teachings of Jesus to their life. You want to have the greatest summer ever? Get in God's word, Matthew 5, 6, and 7, and apply what he says to your life and watch it make the tangible, measurable difference in your life. Bow your heads and close your eyes, if you would, just for a moment. 
two types of people here. We're all followers. We're here. The Bible calls us sheep. You know what sheep do? They follow. So we're all sheep. We're following something. The question is, are you following Jesus? The question is, are, are you interested, wanting to know more about Jesus, wanting to know more about this church, wanting to know more about life? Hey, that's great. You're right where you're supposed to be. But the next step for you is to be a believer. So the first set, first group of people in this room is maybe you haven't given your life to Jesus. Or maybe you said a prayer a long time ago, but since that day, your life has gone completely 180 degrees the opposite direction. And you need to make a fresh start. Like today's the day, now's the time. You say, hey, I need to give my life to Jesus right now because I'm so far away from the faith or I want to do it for the very first time. If that's you, heads bowed and eyes closed, I want you to know you're in the safest space and place possible. If you want to give your life to Jesus or you want to make a fresh commitment, fresh start with him today, could I just ask you to do something very simple but courageous? I'm not going to call down the front. I just want to ask you, would you just lift up your hand? Say, Pastor Nick, today's the day. I need to give my life to Jesus right now. I need to commit. I need to surrender. And right now is my moment. This is my next step in my faith journey. I need to give my life to Jesus. If that's you, would you just lift up your hand? What a courageous thing to do, to give your life to Jesus. There's one in the back. Anybody else? Say, today I, I want to take that next step. I want to give my life to Jesus. I need to surrender to him. Anybody else here today? We're going to pray for that one in just a moment, but the second group of people here today is that you're a believer, you're a follower, you're a believer, but now it's time for you to sit at the table of obedience, that, that conversation that you have with your father. He just wants to help you. Just apply. Just forgive. Be generous. What, watch what happens. Follow God's word. Follow his principles. And watch the tangible difference in your life. And you say, Pastor Nick, in my life, I am not being obedient somewhere. I don't know what it is, but there's a place in my life that has been uncovered from today. The Holy Spirit has convicted me, and I have yet to, I have yet to be obedient in that area, and I need to do that. And so today I'm going to make a commitment. I'm going to obey God. That's you. You say, I need your prayers. I need you to help me. I need God to help me because I need to be more obedient in my life in certain areas. Would you just lift up your hand and say, Pastor Nick, would you pray for me? Hands going up everywhere. Thank you in the back. Thank you up front. Thank you right there in the back. Thank you so much right here in the middle. Thank you. Thank you over here in the back. Thank you over here on the side. Love you guys. Thank you for being honest. So, Fathers, we pray for these that have lifted their hands today and say, I need to be more obedient. God, I'm praying that it would just be practical, common knowledge. That this message of the wise man and the foolish man would just take on such new meaning in their life that they would begin to practically apply your statutes and your principles to their life, and you'll change it forever, I promise. It might not be easy, but it's practical, common sense. I pray that that would make sense to them. For that one that lifted your hand, you say, I want to give my life to Jesus. We are so excited for you. We are, we are celebrating with you. We're going to celebrate with you in just a second. But the Bible says to confess with your mouth and believe in your heart that Jesus Christ is Lord and that he died for your sins and rose from the dead on the third day. And when you confess with your mouth and believe it in your heart, you are saved. You are no longer a follower. You are a believer in Jesus. And today we want to help you in that direction. 
So as you lift up your hand, I want to ask you to say this prayer out loud, out loud with your mouth, but you're not going to be the only one. Our church family in the room today, we're all going to say it out loud too because we are welcoming a follower, another follower being believer of Jesus in this room today. So we're all going to say it together. But that one person, say it out loud. Mean it with everything you got. Everybody say it with me. Dear Jesus, thank you for loving me. Thank you that you died on the cross for my sins. But on the third day, you rose from the dead, you conquered death, you overcame my sin, and because of that, I am no longer a slave to my past or my body or my sin. I have a bright future ahead because I surrender. Come on, say that. I surrender my life to you today. Thank you for saving me. In Jesus' name we pray. And everybody said. We had one person at this service give their life to Jesus. Two today. Isn't that awesome? God bless you. Amen.